Chris, I mean, we're going to, not Chris, oh my God, Jay. John. Jay. We're going to sit down, we're going to show up, and we're going to listen to you. Uh, Who are we talking there is to? A whole, there is a whole death of the author thing in literary criticism that sort of kills that all dead. But sure. Wait, sure. what are the Wouldn't you be a little hero worship? Just a little? Oh, no. I mean, yes. He's, yes, I already am. I, There'd be I, a collection I, of I, authors. There's probably I, a half dozen authors. They appeared before me right now. What author is this? I don't know. Okay. Oh my no, God. I think he's fast. Yeah, I think he's very fascinating <laughs> yeah. as a writer. I was I getting know. my book that I was supposed, I'm supposed to be reading. So you're supposed to be the Andy of the podcast, the inflammatory one? Uh, it's not happening. Grant, what are you reading? Okay, so you're just going back to the... Back to the... the, 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 the okay. Segway. Back to the segue. What is that? Segways do go two directions. Anyway, carry on. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, um, so I threw down the book I was reading last week. I still haven't finished did it. Did you literally throw it down? No, or did you throw no, it out I the didn't. window? No. Did you throw it on your bed? I gently sat it down. Oh. Because the one I, because the one I really wanted to read was delivered to my house. Amateurs. Oh, and what are you reading? I what is the am one reading. Yes. I told I told you yesterday. Oh yeah, you did tell me it's, this. It's, yeah. it's the same author of the book I put down. It's Three Hundred Million by Blake Butler. Ooh, okay. And this is a fascinating book. Um, it's a fascinating book. <laughs> it's slowly but surely checking all my boxes, so oh, it can be up there. Nice. Um, so the basic premise is. You are reading the um, notebook of a cult leader slash serial killer. Ooh. Okay. Um, okay. Already box checked. W- with little, um, little uh, uh, interjections from the um, person who detect detective uh, on the case and interviews with like some of the people who kind of got wrapped up in all of this. Right. But the language in which the cult leader speaks is so interesting. Mm. And like sure. I, I, I looked up how the author did it. Like he, he would um, take like speeches from like David Koresh. I was like, which cult leaders did he like, take? Like like actual actual cult leaders, and mm-hmm. you know, and like he put him in uh, rows or, or like columns, and like uh, do like a cut up method type thing to Inch? build his own narrative. And it's 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 like the, there's a there's a quote on the back of it that says like this is the poetry of insanity and that is 100 percent what you feel when you're reading. <laughs> and yeah. the boundaries between him, the cult members, and even the detective, um, you know, uh, investigating everything, it becomes blurred, mm. and you kind of get the idea that his whole it's kind of a spoiler, but it's in the, also kind of in the title. He wants to kill everybody in America. 300 million. I mean, 300 million people, roughly. Accurate. And combine them all into one flesh. So oh, he's Frankensteining America? Not, not necessarily. There's, it's, oh, it's not really back weird. To life. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, weird. is he trying to human centipede everything? What is he doing? Uh, At this point, I'm not sure okay. if, if he's insane or if he's actually right. So what, like, I mean, the premise might be Define what... Define right! The premise might be what if the apocalyptic cult leader is actually right. Okay. Okay. And there's some cosmic evil at work. There's always a cosmic evil. Well, yeah. When but one is a cult leader. So, anyways, that's what I'm reading. It's, yeah. It's, it's on Hoopla. It's on Hoopla. Is it? Okay. Hoopla that's comes in clutch. Good to know. Interesting. All right. Guess where I'm going? <laughs> Hoopla's always one of those weird little like downloading services. Like I never go there as a first line, but just when all is lost, I'm like, oh gosh, I can't find it anywhere. There's a tiny little secret to Hoopla. 
that I have discovered. <coughs> is this insider knowledge? No, not really. I just have I happened to realize it, and I was like, oh, anything, at least in their audiobook department, anything that has been recorded or produced by recorded books is on Hoopla because Hoopla owns recorded books. <laughs> they bought the rights to RB Digital, so anything that is RB it's a lot recorded of stuff. books. Go, yeah, go straight. Sometimes the forget that, but you're, that's that's right. Yeah, it just dawned on me. I was like, oh, oh. So anytime I'm looking for a book on Goodreads and I see that it's a recorded books audiobook, I'm like, huh, all right, cool. It's right, on here we go. <laughs> all right, Tony, I'm out from the south. Oh, okay. So I am five and a half hours away from finishing. Yeah, five and a half hours away from finishing the fifth Murder Bot Diaries book, which Yay! is. <laughs> So good. So the gist of the Murderbot Diaries series is it is a series of books. Most of them are novellas. The one I'm reading right now is the first and, as it stands, only novel of the series. But the basic plot is Murderbot is what is known as a sec unit or a security unit um, in this, you know, fictional space opera universe. And um, sort of standard sec units are security units and they have a governor module which means that whatever they are told by the company that hires them that is what they do um, except for Murderbot's um, governor module broke as in it broke its governor module it figured out how to hack itself um, and it can't remember why it hacked itself but it now has to pretend to be a sec unit with a working governor module so that the humans will leave it alone so that it can watch its favorite soap opera. And yes, it is as funny as it sounds. It's also gripping and fascinating. The mystery 98% of the time is actually really interesting. Book three has a weird sort of, was it book three? Book three. Yeah, book three has a weird lull thing because the humans are not very interesting. But fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. I highly, highly, highly recommend. There are six books and three more coming out. So, you know, we're, it's fantastic. Just in case I missed it, were you listening to these? Hoopla. They're all okay, available on Hoopla. Sure. They are read by the fantastic, inimitable Kevin R. Free, who should read everything in the universe. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy there. Easy. He, the should, he should read everything. I love Kevin. He is fantastic. There needs to be like a claymation style celebrity death match of audiobook narrators. Kevin are free. It's like it's a battle. Are you royale. gonna do this like robot Bonnie chicken Tur style? Yes. Let's get it on. Yes. Kevin are free walks into a little ring. Bonnie Turpin comes out of the words. Dion Graham. Are they all gonna narrate what's happening? Yes. Okay. Wait. I think Alan Corduner I feel like is the dark horse. I feel like Andy Circus should narrate what happens. Mm. Just because. He's fantastic. Andy, yep. Andy Circus too. There's so many good ones out there. Fiona Hardingham, respect. Anyways, but Kevin Arfrey. No, I love him. I, he's, he, he's he is fantastic. great. Yeah, he's really good. He um, narrated one of the voices of um, the taking of Jake Livingston. It was he did. Yeah, he narrated, um, he narrated Jake. Thank you. Yeah, and I can't remember the other. They both did wonderful. They were both really. Good. Oh yeah, that other. Um, oh, I cannot remember his name, but he's fantastic too. Mm -hmm. He narrated Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda. Beautiful. Yeah. Also, Lin Manuel Miranda is disgustingly good at narrating audiobooks. On that note, too, um, connection um, David Diggs. Oh, yeah. He's, I could see that. He needs to do more. 
I could see that. Yeah. Supreme Overlord of everything in the library. Yes. What are you reading? What am I reading? Well, I actually <laughs> just pulled it off the shelf, and so I just kind of like want to give it a thing before I actually get to start reading it when I go home. Okay. Um, it is called The Lost Causes of Bleak Creek. It's by uh, Rhett McLaughlin. Oh, um, I don't know that one. It, I, I, I was putting, I was finding a book from Melkett that was returned too long on the shelf, and I found it, and yeah. I was like, oh, this looks cool, and so I grabbed it, and mm-hmm. so now I, I read the inside, and I went, well, I guess I'm taking this home. Cool. Um, the story is basically, um, you know Rhett and Link? Like, the YouTubers or whatever? No. Vaguely. Vaguely, that Rhett is the one who wrote it. Um... They, um, it's set in, like, 1992 in some, like, small North Carolina town, um, it's your average sleepy, tiny Southern Baptist town type (laughs) deal, except, um, there's a school along with the other school called the Whitewood School, and it's, like, a reformatory, Mm -hmm. and if you are in trouble or punished, you are sent to that school instead, and, you know, there's some, like, creepy, like, things that go along with it. Um, the two main characters are, um... Rex and Leaf, and they have to go. They're like thinking like nothing of it, and then they see a girl get sent there as punishment, and they're like, "Well, lol, what's going on with this?" Mm-hmm. So they team up with some grad student who's trying to get their film degree, and they decide to go figure out what's wrong and yeah. why this school is considered as scary as it is, and they start uncovering stuff about town and all that fun stuff. So I'm kind of giving this, before I even get in there, like kind of like a weird like 90s Stranger Things vibe going on here. Okay. Yeah. Um, Game-wise, I'm, I'm starting Neo 2. It is a Japanese Souls-like game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is basically your Dark Souls or your Elden Ring, but uh, J- Japan, 1500s, more samurai, more oh, demons, okay. that type of deal. Got it. And so that's what I'm starting to play because mm. I just like Souls-like games, but I still play them anyways because I hate everything. <laughs> Andy, Dungeon Master Human. Wait, wait. What, Dungeon what, what, Master what? Parental Unit. Thank Dungeon you. Daddy. Oh, Dungeon Master Parental Human. What you know, are you that kind of creeped me out a little bit, Grant, just a little bit, but at the same time, dial it up. Okay. Um, I like feeling uncomfortable sometimes. I'm just going to scream it out loud every time over top of everyone. What are you reading? <laughs> Actually, right now, I am reading nothing. <gasps> Again? I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily in a reading slump, per se. I are just, you in between things? I'm in between things. Um, okay, well, what was the last thing you read, and what are you anticipating to okay. read? I, I know what I'm reading next. Oh. Um, the last thing I finished was A Court of Thorns and Roses. Oh, right. And that yeah, was yeah, several yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. And I started reading A Court of Mist and Fury. Right. But I paused it for a second and realized I have a bunch of podcasts and stuff I want to catch up on. I was a few weeks behind on my Critical Role watching, which, if, for those of you who don't know, Critical Role is Fantastic. online uh, Love it. Dungeons Absolutely. and Dragons. A group of nerdy, I was going to say how they say it in the show, but I have to be careful audiences, you know, nerdy voice actors who get around a table and play D&D. Yes. And it's insanity, it's fun, um, it's geeky, and, you know, that's, I've been catching up on that. And even uh, a few more TV shows than I normally would get into. All right, yeah, you're um, We've been watching Doctor Who at home, we're All like right, three episodes yeah. in, because, you know, the two of us together, we're both busy. Um, Rings of Power, which will tie into future discussion in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, a couple days ago, like a week ago, actually, it's 
seems so long ago. Wow, that's awful. Uh, I watched Lord of the Rings trilogy. Ah. But which edition did I watch? Probably extended. The only edition that matters. Oh, God. You're one of those. And no, there's nothing wrong with the, there's nothing wrong with the other editions. I just, I will always choose the extended. Every single time. Even with the things that I wish they would remove from it, like remove back, like put back in the vault. Listen, you want the extended edition and then you want them to remove stuff? No, I will never test it. Like, even if I think there are things that I think they should. I'm like, but you think they should? Okay, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. What? What? What's the what? Today's what? as a follow up from a few podcasts ago, Two Tony podcasts and Tina talking ago. Tolkien Part One. We were talking books, and now we're going to move on. And of course, we will. We don't live in a vacuum here. We're going to reference the books a little bit here and there. Oh, sure. But we're focusing on the silver screen and the smaller screen. So we got our eyes on you, Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Hobbit, and of course, the recently released and epic for all of you naysayers who are definitely wrong. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. That's right. <laughs> Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. RuPaul wants his word back. <laughs> Wait, amen is RuPaul's word? Duh. Come on. Okay. The library is open. Uh, um, you look like I watch it. Okay. So okay. Where are we? What are we? What's the. So really quick, have you watched any of the films before, Aaron? Yeah, it just it's been so long that like brain is broken and doesn't exist. So just I'm here to antagonize you. Keep going. She is playing the Andy of the podcast. I'm the Andy okay. of the podcast. All right. Or shout out to Jen who would be asking all the antagonizing questions in this podcast as well. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Films. Films. Have you watched them? Of course. Uh, <laughs> many times. Yes. Uh, uh, many times. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I, I would have to agree with that. There, there's going to be no disagreement there's, on that. They're so bad, which is so disappointing because there are really amazing performances within that that trilogy. And there's good moments, yeah, but it's, yeah. there's so much filler there's, and just CGI garbage. It's it's honestly for me, it's it it is the fact the filler. I don't mind it with one exception. Okay, I think the white orc is the biggest mistake that that, that trilogy yeah. made. Okay. If you pull out that whole white orc thread, they'd be fine. They would, would they be perfect? No, because there's some visual cues that are just like, what were you thinking? But that whole white orc thing, it gets in the way. The whole, everything, every confrontation is about Thorin's, they, in fact, it begins in the first <laughs> Hobbit movie when we first learn of the white orc. We have this entire, let's pause the forward motion of the story and tell a campfire tale of the time that Thorin Oakenshield became Thorin o Are you serious? No one cares. Like, is this like Is this like Inigo Montoya going to go find the guy who killed his father? And no. It's like, no, it's like, uh, it's, uh. it's crap. It is so, I don't even understand it. It's like, Thorin already has motivation. Why do we need to give him another one? Motivation? Like I don't. <laughs> where do they do that at? Like uh, Peter Jackson should never make any more cinema ever again for that one decision alone. I'm gonna see what. Okay, else really quick. How much? Okay, there's a question I'm about sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> no, like, okay. 
he's how much was studio pressure to fill? I mean, was it? I, I can't remember because I've really obliterated a lot of the Hobbit stuff from my memory. It, so it was originally going to be two films right. directed by Guillermo del Toro. Correct. Oh, last wow. minute, oh. last which would have been awesome. Why not? I know. Last fantastic. minute he dropped out for some reason that I forget. And then Del Toro, why? They had claimed it was a busy schedule because it was right before the movie that won him the Shape of Water. Shape of Water. It was like just before anyone even knew Shape of Water was going to be a thing. And then suddenly, (laughs) Del Toro begins his ride to the Oscars, and you're like, oh, that's why he couldn't be bothered with The Hobbit. Got it. (laughs) That's Um, my theory. Unrelated, Shape of Water is not my favorite Del Toro movie, but I'm happy that he got an award because he's a beautiful human. Yeah, he's a fantastic. We love Del Toro. Oh, I did like that movie. We stand him. Um, he, makes, he is so good. Uh, yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, he uh, and so like basically, they, according to, um, lore, who 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 directed Lord of the Rings? Peter oh, Jackson. Paul Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yes. <laughs> according to Peter Jackson, he had you know he was basically begged to come in and make it into a three piece, you know, three movie. Yeah, basically do this. Yeah, repeat and process. There's. If you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, he's completely overwhelmed to an almost hilarious degree. Mm, I could see that. And there's just an, an image you could find online of him sitting just in a chair, oh, surrounded by green screens, just like he has no idea what to do. When you say overwhelmed, like exactly what do you mean like, overwhelmed? Like, they didn't even have a plan for the shooting day sometimes. And he had, like, <gasps> they had to come up with stuff on the spot. Oh. Like, you know, but the, he had a huge budget. Obviously. There was like so no like, like schedule of anything. No, and there's a, there were schedules obviously, but to my understanding, it was a very confused, not well thought through mess. Well, it almost basically said, they didn't they were scheduling it on their side, and they didn't let him in on the secret. I'm not sure. Or vice versa. It, it's probably a little bit of both. Oh, so that sounds so. It, would it be fair to say that the Lord of the Rings, the initial trilogy, is a lesson in how to make. Yes. A couple, like a trilogy of good films, and the, ne- the next one is like, this is how you don't make a good set of films. Mm-hmm. Do everything, don't do anything we do. I mean, it, it's a miracle that the the original trilogy was so good. It was, was as good as it was. Yeah, it like, came together. There's some really weird. Uh, one of my friends has a, a running list of um, actors who almost were oh, in Lord um, of the Rings. I think we talked about it before. Stuart Townsend. Was I think Aragorn? Who's Stuart? Who's Stuart Townsend? Have you seen? I know that name. Okay, he's been in a few things. But have you seen um, Queen of the Damned? Yeah. Oh, that guy. He, uh, oh. Yeah. Oh God. He I've seen horrible. He and like Peter Jackson is having none of yours. You know. Yeah, he's terrible. But yeah, actually, Viggo Mortensen accidentally became Aragorn because yeah. there were several people who were supposed to be Aragorn, and it just felt kept falling through for reasons. Mm-hmm. And Viggo was an extra like he was an Aragorn extra that they were just like what about that guy he's good at the fight choreo that's why we hired him Russell he's Crow, got a he's got a whole Nicholas like Cage, yeah, Daniel no, Day-Lewis yeah Daniel Day-Lewis actually okay, Daniel, that, Daniel Day-Lewis came the, the closest that's the only other one I'd be and that one would have been I Liam Neeson <laughs> I don't think I don't think Liam Neeson was ever on the As table Boromir oh I, he could have okay. been an interesting Boromir. Okay. I don't know. This is from Screen Rant. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, don't trust anything Screen Rant says. Screen Rant is wrong about everything. Yeah. I mean, um, you're not wrong. I just... Yeah, Screen Rant is, is fan-made. and Liam Neeson definitely um, could have worked, though. I mean, as Aragorn just a little bit. But I'm, no, I, I, if you take him away from some of the like ridiculous man-versus-nature action crap that he's been doing, um, 
I don't see him as an Arab. Here's the here's my problem. Okay, all right. I should just have you ever watched Rob Roy really quick? This is part of my reason where I don't. Ethan Bowie auditioned for Lord of the Rings. Liam, really quick, you Liam Neeson would have made a really good. Who's the steward of Gondor? Uh, Denethor. 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 Oh. He, would, he would have been a good Denethor. He would have been fantastic Denethor. I like the guy that played John Northfield. That was so yeah. good, yeah. Um, okay. I just I just still can't believe David Bowie auditioned for Elrond. <laughs> Give it to David Bowie. <laughs> I, I he wanted the part of Elrond, and then Jackson said that his superstar status would distract from it. I mean, I I mean, given that... Okay, so it is interesting to me that the most famous person... Attached to the most famous people attached to Lord of the Rings in the beginning were Sam and Frodo mm. and Gandalf and Saruman. <laughs> Everyone knew who uh, they were. Kate Blanchett. Oh, I forget. Yeah. Kate, but see, Kate Blanchett wasn't at the time. She had just done Elizabeth, so she was an Oscar darling. Okay. She wasn't what she became. The Lord of the Rings actually made Kate Blanchett what she became later because. You know, she just on Elizabeth and won an Oscar for it, and everyone was like, "Who's this Kate lady?" And then she does Lord of the Rings, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> um, People told her not to take the role. Yeah, because she, because she was an Oscar darling, she was quote unquote better than that. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I still think it's not as hilarious as Leonardo DiCaprio almost becoming Anakin Skywalker, which I would watch in a hundred thousand years. Um, that really should have happened. Um, and Padme would have been too old for him. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's true, she would have been. Oh, whoops, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, dear listeners. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but no, okay, I should say this about the Lord of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and I love those movies as movies. <laughs> Peter Jackson's Aragorn is not J.R.R. Tolkien's Aragorn, period. Say that again? Peter Jackson's Aragorn okay. is not. I like that both interpretations exist. I prefer Peter's. Aragorn because he's less irritating and angsty. Like J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Aragorn and Edward Cullen could sit down and have coffee and understand each other perfectly. Mm. The angst that they feel over their role in the world is you know, like, oh God. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about that, because and I reread and I'm gonna reread it, re-listen soon because I need to listen to Andy Circus version. Yes, you do. Yes, um, you. Yeah, I do remember that too. Like I, I can remember taking. Why is he a little whinier than I remember? When, <laughs> like, you can be you can be kind of edgy without being that, or you can be a little bit detached or reluctant to take up the 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 royal royalty again. Well, you can be these things without being. I, it's not necessarily bad. It just I like the other. Well, I think the one thing that Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings fails to do, and part of it is just because you don't have enough time on screen. Yeah. Um, is that you don't see Gondor until the third film. So you don't, if Aragorn was to pontificate about the struggle he feels about rising to the throne, no one cares. Not when Frodo's being chased down by nine black cloaked <laughs> riders and like, I mean, you know, the pressure is in other places. You know, right. um, the, uh, Mount, the Mount Doom, jeez, what is that? Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep. Yeah. You know, I mean, with all of that in the way, like, who cares about Aragorn's angst, right? And you have to want to care about it by the time you get to Return of the King, because that's kind of the point of Return of the King. So, you know, I feel like, in a lot of ways, how Peter Jackson interpreted the books was as best as they could have been interpreted at the time. Yeah. What I actually want to see is 
and I don't know who would be good at this. I don't know if the director is out there right now, but I want to see someone else do it again. I want to see another Lord of the Rings trilogy adaptation. Brand new director, brand new writing team, brand new cast, all of it, just to see what we could do now that we couldn't do. So J.J. Abrams, written, oh, written, no, written no, by no, the, no, the no, 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 are you trying to, I'm gonna pass out on the floor, like I, I can't. I was really no. thinking like, we're gonna have to no. edit out a death no. scene in this podcast like, today. No, I no. Like, I no. joke, I joke, oh. I joke. Okay. Thank you. I was like, um, can we, can we, can we no, choose I someone good? I was trying <laughs> to pick out the worst possible. Oh, okay, yeah, you were really. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Michael Bay. That was it. Now, now, now the worst Okay. I'm just gonna now, you, what what is it, you, now by reading the IMBD fun facts. I'd rather see a U bowl version just to see how like low rent Lord of the Rings would look. Oh, God. oh I can't, I can't. It hurts. I don't know who we would. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting just to see what a current, what a modern, what a current director would do. Um, I don't know who the director would be. Actual um, suggestion? I maybe Robert Eggers. He made The Northman, which came out recently. Oh, which oh, okay. I was kind of half and half on, but sure. I think if you got his stuff together, you could pull it up. Sure. Um, yeah. Or Robert Eggers. Is it Robert Eggers? Is that I think it's Robert Eggers. Because David Eggers is an author. Oh, you said Robert Eggers before, but yeah, okay. then you doubted yourself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was almost going to throw in, like, for argument's sake, Matt Reeves. Okay. I, I it despite not liking the Batman, I really like a lot of his stuff. Yeah, um, it, I think it depends on who wrote it. Yeah. Like, if he... Because he works too closely with J.J. Good point. And I don't want J.J. anywhere near the project because he's terrible. He's actually really bad. Um, if he can't steal from Lucas and Spielberg, then he doesn't work well. And he always steals the worst parts. Like, okay, Super director, 8 is a yeah. really good film, except that it's, the, it's entirely the plot of E.T., with bigger monsters. <laughs> Sean Connery was supposed to be Gandalf at one point? Yes, Sean Connery was Ooh, attached to Listen, I am just reading the IMBD fun facts here. Yeah, Sean Connery uh, was attached He was offered $10 million per film for this, and then he turned it down because he didn't understand the story. Um, that's yeah, literally that what sounds, it says. Yeah, that sounds about that. right. Yeah. Like Alec Guinness in Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is garbage. Yeah Alec, yeah, Alec Guinness hated Well, they all, segue, they all hated not hated, but they all thought it was goofy. Mm. No, because nobody knew what was going on. So they passed the script around to their friends and family. And then when they showed up to the set of Empire Strikes Back, they literally were like, "All right, so we're putting a kibosh on everything. No one gets a script to take home." And they told the whole in the whole confrontation scene between Vader and Luke. Yeah, they told them different things. So mm. nobody killed your father. So nobody knew. No. And, <laughs> Harrison Ford didn't even know until they showed up to the premiere and he leans over to Mark Hamill and goes, Hey kid, you didn't effing tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hilarious. Anyway. Listen, some of these are hilarious. I should say that Who's, my okay. actual favorite visual representation of Middle Earth in terms of vibe is the combined efforts of Rankin Bass and Ralph Bakshi. Um... I think Ralph Bakshi gets it, like, first of all, it's just top-notch top, top notch animation. Mm -hmm. Incredible work. If you have not seen this, it is... Yeah, it is quite good. So mm -hmm. good. It basically, it calls the movie The Lord of the Rings, but 
like it's the first two books. The first two books, yeah, yeah. And I don't know why Return of the King got chopped off at some point. They, they, they had started making it, I think. Like, there was yeah. there was a poster oh, for it, yeah. and there might have been yeah. some storyboards and stuff, really? but it never happened. Oh, I, I would have loved to see that. Oh, that sucks. Um, the, yeah. yeah. The vibe is so Tolkien. It it works for me. I don't think... It again. It's been It's been a while. Yeah, I don't think that the family at the time agreed with that, but... It doesn't matter what they think. <laughs> They're all dead now. Um, As a point before a segue, because we're talking about actors, and this is a, a, a fun point that I always like to talk about people, mm-hmm. like translation from book to screen. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, who should have played Tom Bombadil? Ingrid. If they at the time, at the time and now. Oh, at the time and now. You, who's your face claims? Now, honestly, I would live to see Idris Elba as Tom Bombadil. Because Idris Elba doesn't get enough credit for his ability to do comedic acting. And Tom Bombadil has to have that, like, slight... He has to be able to get serious and you... And look scary. He has to walk the line. But He has to walk the line. But he is... He comes on in just this burst of, I mean, color and life. And and Idris Elba could pull that off beautifully. That's never who I would have thought about it. But I... That would be a hell of a casting. Mm -hmm. And he also looks ageless. That's the other thing. Yeah, and Tom Bombadil has to look ageless. No, he should be in running to play a big role. I mean, I agree. So, yes. Until <laughs> someone beats him up. So, <laughs> it's so true. Idris Elba as James Bond win? Daniel Radcliffe should play Frodo. <gasps> yes! Because his twin already played Frodo. They don't even try to do anything. No, no, no. They won't even have to. Yeah, exactly. It would, it would be perfect. Honestly, I would love to see, and this is, it would look a little strange, but I think with the right prosthetics, they could make it work. I would honestly love to see, um, oh my gosh, the kid who played Ron. Rupert. Rupert. I would Rupert? love to see Rupert as his Sam. Rupert Grant? Why separate them? They would be fantastic. I mean, mm. to be honest, I And they already know how to play off of each other. It would be so He hasn't acted in so long either. Like, I think it'd be entertaining. Yeah, especially in something major like that. I mean, it would just, he, and he has the, I mean. If anybody important is listening to this podcast, Please consider I, this. I would. I, it would be interesting to see Rupert Grant as as Sam. Um, Lordish. Sorry. That was. <laughs> um, um, as far as like actors back in the day, like in the seventies or eighties or whatever, for Tom Bombadil, I. Like what kind of came to mind is um, I don't know the guy's name, but you know in Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Indiana Jones's friend. Marcus. Friend when he goes to the Middle East. Um, and he's oh. also in the Last Crusade. The older white man. He's, his name is Marcus in the movie, I think. No, 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 that, no. That's, that's you're, the you're Jonathan Rhys Jonathan Rhys Davies. Oh, Jonathan Rhys. Who plays Gimli? Oh, he's Gimli. <laughs> hey. And the voice of Treebeard. And the voice of Treebeard. <laughs> he's already there. So yeah, he's already there. We well, you could, know, yeah, he might. Have he would be an interesting Tom Bombadil. I'm, I'm just going off his energy and his energy. Yeah, that could work. And stuff. Yeah. The problem is, is he does not look ageless. So we'd have to do. Can we also talk about like in the cast? Like, I don't know if he was the tallest. He was, he was, he was the but tallest. He's a of the, monster of a man. Really he was the yeah. tallest of the actors, um, and he's six one, and he was playing Gimli, who's a dwarf. <laughs> That's actually really funny. <laughs> Which actually, you talk about cinematography for a moment. Like, at knowing what I know about the filming of Lord of the Rings and how they handled the height differences, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the scenes with the stranger, mm-hmm. who I think we know who the stranger is, um, but I'm not gonna say. Are we talking about Stranger Towers? In Rings of the Power. Sorry. Oh, Rings Rings of Power. Wait, which Stranger? Came from the stars. 
Oh, the stranger. Oh, the stranger. The Starman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a star. Played by Jeff Bridges. I'm Listen, kidding. Um, the Starman is Gandalf, y'all. I hate to burst oh, your little mm. bubbles. Hashtag spoiler alert. Here's some, okay, let me let me explain to y'all just a tiny little bit, and Grant can feel free to burst Tony's my bubble. I might be wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't. No, no, I know. I'm just going to say something about, like, you know, visual media. <sighs> when, when they shoot something over and over and over again, that's them telling you. That's them hang, what they call it, hanging a lantern on it. They're literally pay saying. Attention. They yeah, are literally pay attention to a this. dollar like, on they're a fishing not, line. They're not being secretive about it. The second he stood up and the only piece of article of clothing that they gave him was long, draping, dark gray clothing for a tall, elderly gentleman running around with hobbits, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But to be fair, we yeah. had a conversation where at one point you were a little confused on that. And I'm like, initially, Gandalf. for like, and a, you're like, like yeah. five minutes when I first, like, because he, he shows up in such a weird way that I was like, what? And all the other elements were more interesting. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, it would be Gandalf. So it's like, and that was episode two. Like, it's okay to be confused at the yeah. end of episode two. If we're on episode five and we've seen this guy for five episodes in the same costume? Maybe just because, and I don't have as much expanded knowledge as other people do, but like, I know enough how the Istari came to Middle Earth. Um, yeah, they're not doing that. I just have to tell you. They're like, there's, <laughs> they're doing it very differently. Yeah, they're missing. But at the same with, time, I, I yeah. felt like I had enough of an experience with that, like the minute he had that appearance, I'm like, oh, there's no doubt. And again, I've been stay, staying away from anything, and I, I think I watched the barest minimum of a trailer at one point. Like, oh sure, yeah. I don't. I watched a trailer, but I don't remember that. I think that's why it took me by surprise. Is I was like, I don't remember there being a. Okay, maybe. All right. Well, we're gonna just. But yeah, that works. Thinking about that, like I'm watching those scenes particularly, so I can see how the people who are very average or normal height actors, mm. actors and actresses, yeah, next to him, because. Mm -hmm. How they did it in Lord of the Rings? Do you remember how they did it? I don't actually. It was a lot of it, it was a lot of depth perception. Like it might look oh, like Gandalf oh, is like right next to Frodo, but he's like ten feet away. Exaggeration. That's maybe. interesting. Okay. But they did a lot of stuff like that, so it was really creative how they handled that. Yeah, that is really smart. Um, so it was very practical. Yeah. Um, so I'm always kind of conscious of like, how does that look? How does that look? How do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it even applies a little bit to. And I'm really warming up to Elrond in the show. Ugh, I love him so much. First little thing, I'm like, eh, he's not Hugo Weaving. But Hugo Weaving is the most overrated actor in SFF fandom, I have to tell y'all. Do I love him when I see him appear? Yes, but like, the he has such a cult following that I don't understand. I'm like, he says five words a day. I just, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, I don't want him replaced in anything that I've seen him in, because he does the job, which is fine. But, like, I don't really, I'm not devoted to him, if that makes sense. Okay, fair. But, like, I, I just in terms of, like, the science fiction fantasy fandom, um, and I loved The Matrix Resur Resurrections, I had a problem. There was no Agent Smith, as I love him. I want Agent Smith. There's, there's like, no all the other agents, nothing. You ain't got nothing on him. There was no reason to bring him back in any... I know. Yeah, right. Capacity. I mean, they brought Morpheus! <laughs> well, you know. Kind of. Yeah, spoilers. I, I don't care. I care! <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Sorry, they didn't bring anyone back. I mean, I'm okay but with bringing back. There are other little scenes where, like, obviously, like, Endgame has proven that you can use that character again, Red Skull. Oh, yeah. I mean, That I was like not him. him. And he did a great job, so yeah. he's not irreplaceable. Wait, what? That wasn't him? What? You didn't know? No! He did a good job then! That was not... You know how many times I've seen that movie? Wow. Well, I'm actually rather impressed. Yeah, he, he did such a good job. So he's not irreplaceable. Huh. Um, and there are other films. I, I think he could easily be swapped out for different people. But, like, I like his performances in certain things so much. I enjoy him. I mean, yes, I enjoy him when I see him. I enjoy his performances. I'm just not a... I'm not going to stand him. Really. Yeah, like, I'm just not... I'm like, I'm like, okay, good. You did, you did your job. All right, cool. As Agent Smith, he's irreplaceable. That is the one area where I'm just like, don't, don't, don't even think about it. Don't I could even like, give it Elrond. <laughs> I, you could probably get someone else, and I'd be just as happy. But like Agent Smith is the one area that's the hill I'll die on in the Hugo Weaving. Yeah, no, I, I completely yeah. agree with you there. That's yes, the Elrond was the one I'm like, really though, Elrond doesn't even do anything in the original trilogy. Like, but he, he was even he like just complaining. And Kate Blanchett and Kate Blanchett is. She was fired. She was fired in that. But like, I love her. Even if I didn't love the Hobbit films, there were there was enough inclusion of things that I did like that made it watchable. Yeah, those parts I thought were I thought that inclusion was actually quite good and necessary because a lot of people don't know that it was happening at the time, and it's a great way. The way that they like seeded that information in was fantastic. Like the yeah. necromancer? Yeah, all of that. I thought it was just mm -hmm. a delight. The visual cues of all of that was great. We get Eradicast the Brown, which I thought was fantastic. Um, yeah, I really... I loved all of that. I just... The White Orc. So, White what else? Orc. In the sake of, okay, give us a few other things that worked. I mean... And this is I mean, do you want some fun facts that work that are about hilarious? About the Hobbit. I mean, we got to be a little bit more fair. Is there anything? Do we have to be fair? No, okay. no. no. <laughs> First of all, why did you make it a trilogy? It's one book, Bo. Thank you. Like one, one book shorter than any one of the three. Lord of yeah, right. It's a straight up adventure fantasy. Ching, you ching, don't ching. need oh, anything and... else. Okay, come on. Let me tell you something. <laughs> all you have to do is make a good movie. And people will show up and give you the coins, okay? Like yeah, you don't have that to. Like seriously though, who's in charge of those? Like I mean, what major studio was above that in charge of that? New Line Productions. Who owns New Line? Who does own Warner Brothers? Line? Is it Warner Brothers that owns Hold New on. Line? I'm not sure. I know. This is. They're all evil. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> give me a second. <laughs> okay, George. I'll look it calm up down. right now. <laughs> George. Warner Brothers. <laughs> George Lucas. Warner Brothers. Oh, well, Answer I, is Warner Brothers. Warner Bro okay. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. But, you know, whatever, ka-ching, ka um, I, I mean, but that's, every studio has that. Like, I'm sorry. I don't care how yeah. many MCU movies you crank out and how good some of them are and how good some of them aren't or whatever. Disney is in it for the money, okay? They're not doing Pixar just to make kids happy. But... Period. Even MCU, like, they're in it for the money, but they there are a couple missed opportunities in terms of like what they could have done with things. I agree. Civil War should have been two films, and it should never have included that airport scene. Wait, what, <laughs> what movie? Civil War, uh, Captain America: Civil War. I mean, the only thing I really liked about it was Spider-Man. So. I mean, that's fair. And that was a that was that was a good inclusion. Even if I don't like, and it was good. Cinematic battle, like the way they introduced Peter Parker to the MCU. 
it did look it played out well like I, I'd yeah. rather it gone a, them gone about a little bit differently but it played well so I'm not going to argue that was not a critique of the film there's so much more to rip on that film but again I'm just saying missed opportunity even MCU drops the ball oh sure but what I'm saying is no one ever accuses anytime that Disney drops the ball no one ever accuses them of like being money hungry and it's like True. but they are are you kidding me the reason that Disney Plus took as long as it did to even become an entity is because they were like we want as much money as possible which means yes we have to give everyone who's ever watched Disney in their life everything that they want <laughs> which is nuts yeah but I mean you know come on it, it, that's how massive corporations work what I can't stand about Warner Brothers overall is that nobody there seems to have a creative bone in their body like they're just like well what does the budget say and it's like what what what, what how what, what? okay kind of roping back into the topic at hand I will make a little jab like they're not gonna have much of a budget if they okay that's right. why I'm grateful that however Amazon Prime did it I don't know how they did it but they snuck in, swooped in, and stole the rights to the second age. Thank God. Um, I do want to point out <laughs> things that work for Rings of Power so far. And this yes. is... Um, Beats. And, and I, I, do we have to compare it a little bit to the films, like going all the way back to the early 2000s? No, it's part of a question. Oh. Specifically, and this is going to be pointing fingers at Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. Do you remember you and I had that argument about how the Gamorrean guards looked? Yes, I don't agree with you. But I, I think they look atrocious. <laughs> However, <laughs> they're Gamorrean guards, but okay, carry on. <laughs> but it's little details that could have. I know. I mean, I haven't seen costuming that bad since the original Ninja Turtles movie back in 1990. Um, Having seen one episode of The Book of Boba Fett, I'm not entirely in disagreement with you on that, right. but carry Anyways, on. can we talk about the orcs? I think the orcs are better they, than Peter's orcs. Better than what? I think they're better than Peter Jackson's orcs. They look really good. They're so, so good. I mean, They're people are going like, to argue that, like, oh, you know, they have had 20 years to perfect it. I'm like, still. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they they did. That's yeah. the point. Is that they took the cue and they were like, you know what? We don't have to change anything here, but we do have to make them look cooler. Because, like, they like, definitely <laughs> are really, and on a purely, they look a little less, what's the word I'm trying to use? A little less uh, fake. Yeah, exactly. The That's Hobbit. the point. Yeah, they, they well, not even Lord of the Rings. Like, Oh, there yeah, was the a, Hobbit orcs are just like, yeah. There's, there's something about that. But like, we have this Amazon TV series that the orcs look great they're, they, across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they're fantastic. Um, the uh, dwarves also look really good. Um, <laughs> and really, as much as I had that little complaint, I'm not even going to bring it up because it's stupid. Like, I wanted to see a dwarf and female with a beard, but whatever. Which she is, looks which fine. You know it isn't even a settled thing in the Tolkien fandom. Right. No, like, it's not. No. Tolkien, um, it was a note. It was really, really, This all of this begins with a note yeah. that Tolkien's like, hmm, I wonder. And he's never really answered the question because he just didn't know. Like, he was mm -hmm. just like, well, it could be a thing, it couldn't be. And then Peter Jackson, very cleverly, fed the line to Gimli in the movie, and it's great because it, it's, yeah. it, stays with us but it's like you know some of these things I maybe like Wonder Woman Woman at some point in the season can have a little bit of a it would be fantastic I would be kind of a cool like love to see a bearded dwarf woman uh, right it's there's room for it I just feel like their focus is elsewhere <laughs> but they they look good uh, the dwarves look pretty dang pretty dang good um, I'm not as in like I, I need to fall in love with the elves 
the aesthetic of the elves. Like they I don't think look. The point of the show at this point is maybe not to fall in love with the elves. I think the elves in due course will become our antagonists. Okay. Ooh. From a, from a viewer's perspective, they're not the show's antagonists, but. At this point in They're the second... They're supposed to make us hate them at this point. Well, because at this point in the second age... Kel, so Celebrimbor is a character who is, at this point, sort of in the shadows. He's the older elf that sort of... He's the Ozai of the Yeah, like he's, like, he's like... He's like... He's the sort of, like... The I'm figure, in the shadows He's, he's the figure work. in the background, but if you know the name Celebrimbor, the second that they say the name, a chill went down. I was like, oh... God, because he's the guy who unsuspectingly teaches Sauron the art of ring making. Oh! So, okay, I get it. At this point, it's like we don't even necessarily know who Sauron is yet. Like, I am pretty certain. I'm like, okay, it's gotta be this guy. But honestly, if they're not doing a deep fake with Sauron, they haven't understood the character. There because are that, that's like whole, a, it's his two whole, potential characters. There's two potential characters. There's one that they're putting forth as like, clearly this is the one. Yeah, but it's too but obvious, like, right? Mm. Exactly. It's too obvious. Sauron to me, well, and just period, Sauron is a sneak. That's the whole point. He fools the entire company of elves into thinking that it's a that he's a great person. So in order to do that, he has to be someone we've not spent time with or we've spent time with thinking he's one thing and then he's a turncoat you know um it so i think my here's my theory having seen the first five episodes i think where we're headed for season one by the end of season one have you seen episode five like all the way through so there's a problem that is introduced in episode five it's a conversation between Gilgalad and Elrond, and that's all I'm going to okay. tell you. I don't want to spoil it. But that conversation leads to a problem for the elves as a nation. And I think the three rings of power that the elves have okay. in the whole you know, mm-hmm. Tolkien lore thing, the poem, I think that's where those come from. I think those come from a, those are the solution to this problem that is being introduced. Um, which to me makes sense. It's like, oh, as a plot, like... It, it never really, like, the poem always threw me off when it's, like, three rings for the elven lords, you know, that whole thing. It's like, yeah, this sounds great, but didn't, didn't y'all teach him to make those? So how come they weren't poisoned when he brought out the one? I'm confused. And then they throw shade at men. Like, you greedy men. And you so took the easily nine. Yeah, so easily corrupted. I was like, wait a minute, boo, you don't want to talk. Okay, hold up. So, and plus with Elrond being there, seeing the strength of men fail, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's some stuff happening in there that I think is, that could prove really interesting. Who said this morning, too? I, I, we were talking to someone this morning, and they said that it's condensing 500 years into, like, 50 or 60. Because it was a patron, I compl- wasn't it? It was a patron, yeah. I complained that, um, that they were uh, Isildur. Yeah, he shouldn't be there. It's true. Like, it... God hand forbid that it could but be the father of the next Isildur we know. I don't think so. I you think don't think so? The Isildur, I, because because if you look at Elendil, Elendil looks exactly like an old like how Viggo Mortensen's yeah. Aragorn would age. So it's like okay, I think well, like, even like how Isildur did in the movies. Yeah, he doesn't right. look, he, yeah that's yeah. that. He does. He looks just like Isildur from the the prologue, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. So I feel like that's where we're headed with Isildur, because they keep throwing him light shade. <laughs> 
they're like, the one friend is like, I hope someday you find something to be passionate about. And I literally screamed at the screen, my precious. <laughs> because that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, they are condensing everything. Because they have to. Um, none of the actors are immortal beings. So it would take to you <laughs> can't actually spend, you know, um, that long Can making I, a show. From a show perspective, and again, this is a, this is a weird little thing, and we've talked about it. Like, I always have a problem watching, like, epic movies that were made into, like, TV shows because they lose a cinematic quality. Usually. I talk about it a lot with the Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, and even the MCU, sh- MC, MCU shows on Disney+. Oh, yeah, Plus they as well. Yeah, they um, and it's not a criticism, true criticism, because I understand the constraints. I, I get it. I'm fine with it. Um, even if I don't love it. This one, I can obviously see where they're cutting corners here and there a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm very forgiving of it. Like, it's this weird little, like, I recognize that it has the flaws. Not the flaws. Well, certain characteristics that I don't like. Visual, acting, whatever. I'm not going to go too in-depth with it right now, but it has things that I don't like in other experiences. Sure. But I'm like, okay, this is new. I'm okay with this. I'm fine with this. I mean, from, from the little I've seen of it, it was... Mm-hmm very convincing like visually like yeah. you feel like you're in yeah. the Lord of the Rings world yes. I will say yeah. um, I'm not sold on the island of Numenor yet that what oh you mean like the set really I not like there are ding, bits, ding, there are like, some let's get it off there are some <laughs> there are some like inner spaces in there like there's where where the father of what is Elendil? Thank you. Yes. Um, I totally forgot the name. Um, where he is laying in bed, inert, more or less, before he gets out of bed. He's the queen's father. He's oh, the queen's Not father. Elendil. Oh, Muriel's oh, yeah. father. Sorry. Yeah, um, that whole plot arc is a little weird. Anyway. But, <laughs> but like, that room itself, where his bedchamber, that's visually impressive. But like, when they're running in alleys and standing in little courtyards, I'm like, this doesn't seem cinematic enough for me. I'm ignoring it because I'm enjoying the entirety of the show. But, like, Numenor doesn't look nearly as grand, at least what we're being presented with, than I can. Cause That's interesting. I wouldn't say that I agree with that, but I am ready for it to sink. Like, I want to cause the flood myself because I hate all of them. Yeah. The entire island. I'm like, you arrogant... Word, 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 word. I hate them word. all. I hate them all. First of all, y'all not gonna do my girl like that. Like, when she shows up and says, by the way, evil still lurks, I need your help, and y'all are like, F you elf? Oh, I'm done. Like, like, nope, can't do it. Galadriel is right, y'all are wrong. She's also bad as heck, so I want all of Numenor to sink, and I don't know if that's what their goal was. I only have fun facts. So but you know, I, I do have facts. I do have a, a, a an off kilter kind of smack. In okay, mind, that we'll get to that in a minute or two. Okay, yeah, I um, just I'm not a fan of the characters of Numenor. I have a question for Tony. What's up? Oh, do no. you do you happen to know if like the fall of Numenor, because like Tolkien was big in the myths and stuff, mm-hmm. do you think it was inspired at least a little bit um, by like the Legend of Atlantis? Or oh, actually, it, I read is, that before. It is his it Atlantis. Is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Lewis and Tolkien, they were part of the Inklings writing group, and at one point the I don't know if it was the entire group or if it was just Lewis and Tolkien. <laughs> they challenged each other to write something that they wouldn't normally write. So that's how we get Lewis's space trilogy that he wrote for adults. 
that's where that all one. that come from, okay. comes from. Because he was like a big nerd into like early science fiction, and he was just like, I want to do that, I want to do that, and so he did that. Um, Tolkien kept trying and couldn't get his act together, so he just folded it into the Middle Earth. He was like, yeah, that's what happens to Numenor, you know, <laughs> because that's what he did with everything. Um, did you know, actually, I found this out recently, watching like a 12-minute interview with him. Yeah. The Hobbit was never supposed to be The Hobbit. What was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be something that didn't have anything to do with Middle Earth. He said that he sat down to write The Hobbit. He wanted. He said the whole point of it was to write something that wasn't Hobbit, that wasn't Middle, Middle Earth, Earth at all. And all of a sudden, you he know, wrote Middle Earth. It, Middle Earth was there, and he said that. I mean, that's where the ring. He said suddenly he, you know, he's like, oh, oh God, oh the ring is here. Oh, and and so there it was. He was just caught. It's like you're writing a character, and then all of a sudden the like you're writing something completely separate to have a brain break from your character, and then the character just kind of shows well, up, and you're just like. Well, fine. Well, you it's because be the so it, it all came about because the interview that was interviewing him was trying to basically be like, "See, you wrote an allegory. See, you wrote an allegory." And he goes, literally, he, his last calling card was the ring. He's like, "But come on, the ring, right? The ring is clearly an allegory. You know, it's clearly the nuke, right? Like we all know that, right?" And Tolkien goes, "That's hilarious. I wrote the I wrote uh, the first uh, you know inklings of the ring. The ring was exactly what it was supposed to be before I even wrote the Hobbit." The Hobbit wasn't even supposed to be the Hobbit, but the ring comes from, you know, where it comes from. Nobody knew that the H-bomb was even planned at the time, so, you know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. we are running very short on time, so I really want to throw out there. Um, hopefully y'all have enjoyed this uh, particular podcast today. Hopefully we've made you thirsty for Rings of Power, and maybe to go back and watch Lord of the Rings and even The Hobbit, or even go back further, read the books, with new eyes, put on your little new Tolkien glasses, and you know, have at it. Uh, just as a little reminder, we got a couple of cool programs coming up. We got the D and D session 02.0 coming up. Uh -huh. So if you have any teens, it is for teens grades nine through twelve. Yes. Um, and we have a boatload of historical programs this month. We have a Rosie the Riveter. It's part of a Light Lenway Lifelong Learning oh, um, cool. partnership. I'm trying to think. We have an evening on the Titanic with uh, Captain Smith and Molly. And oh. what is the other historical one? We the have? Hollywood one. The Hollywood when one. Hollywood went to war. Oh, that one looks really cool, actually. That Actors, does seem pretty you know, in the war. Um, yeah, which, but there it is. Now, my off-kilter smack to wrap this episode up. Imagine a personification. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay. A personification of The Hobbit. Oh. Personification of Rings of Power. Obviously, I'm marrying the Jet Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's Wait, are you talking about the books or the film? Film. Okay. Yeah, I'm marrying Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. I'm absolutely killing The Hobbit because <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and I'm having a really good, cozy time with Rings of Power, which I currently am. So, you know, that's it, there I am. It's good. Don't Same. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'd, pro I'd go that way. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of Rings of Power, but yeah, Mary, Mary, the physical embodiment of the Rings. Yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. kind of surprised you say, well, listen, boo, I have Rankin Bass coming in. I mean, I love those movies. They capture the spirit of Tolkien's books. They are also really, really cheesy um, because they're 1970s animation. 
Um. I do want to throw out there too when you were talking about it, but it wasn't a Lord of the Rings. Uh, it wasn't pertinent in the conversation. For animation, I was really harsh on it when it came out in mid two thousands. Autumn, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, an adaptation of the first book in the Dragonland saga. Mm-hmm. But it has some good voice at Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, it does. Uh, Michael Rosen. I mean, it has some Michelle Trachtenberg. I'm trying to think who else. I had some good names attached to it. Yeah. Um, I hated it at the time because it wasn't what I wanted. In fairness, I was spoiled by Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Like I wanted something grand sweeping, visually, just amazing. Yeah, but don't you think that would be wrong for Dungeons and Dra- for for Dragonlance? Like they're not the same thing. Now, going back in time, like comparing it to the animated Lord of the Rings and stuff, really, and that stuff's fine. I love it. Yeah. Why didn't I love Dragonlance? Just because. It, I wasn't ready for that. Like, I wanted something else, and I, I want to go back and watch it just to see. Well, to be honest, you know, my favorite of the three animated is the Return of the King. I have a fun fact to end it up. No, so I'm just good. Kidding. And if, okay, Aaron's. So, 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 yeah. so, 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 do you guys remember the scene with Pippin getting hit by the apples during the first Fellowship of the Ring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know who's hitting him with the apples during that whole entire scene? I'm going to say either Peter Jackson or Aragorn. That's Vigo. Okay. <laughs> it took them 16 tries to get it correct. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I mean, yeah. And also, Sean Bean didn't like flying at the time. So, you know, they, go to the, they had to go to the top of the mountain via helicopter when they were filming. He doesn't like flying, so every single day, two hours before they had to go up to the room, he'd go up the mountain.